Hello, med students. My name is Zach Olson, and thank you for downloading this week's episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast. We're currently in our genitourinary month in our summer of abdominal angst, and so far it's been females, mostly with all the issues. We covered UTI, obviously, more common in females, not always, but we also talked about ectopic pregnancy, PID, ovarian torsion. But here's the thing. Men, we have our pelvic conundrums as well. And that's what we're going to talk about this week. Last week, we talked about pelvic inflammatory disease. This week, we're talking about prostatitis. Last week, we talked about ovarian torsion. This week, we're going to talk about, you guessed it, testicular torsion. All critical diagnoses. Let's start with testicular torsion because we've covered it before. And so we can move through this one really quick. History. If the patient isn't coming in complaining of specifically testicular pain, like in the triage note, frequently these patients, you're either going to see the triage note stating that they're complaining of either like a lower abdominal pain or flank pain. This is the context we've covered it in before. The differential diagnosis of flank pain, abdominal aortic aneurysm, torsion, kidney stones. I have definitely seen patients with a triage note along the lines of and imagine reading this, right? Flank pain, history of kidney stone. And then they end up having testicular torsion as the cause of the symptoms. I've also had cases where EMS call came in for syncope and hypotension in an elderly male with flank pain. And I'm thinking, triple A, triple A, triple A, triple A. And I immediately brought the bedside ultrasound to the bedside. I had it like pre-gelled in the resuscitation bay. I'm ready to go. And, you know, I'm just thinking triple A, triple A, triple A. And this dude, no joke, comes in and he's holding his testicles, right? And I immediately go, oh, he's torsed. And I have him like, the first thing I do, we're kind of getting him changed and everything, but I have him pull down his pants and I'm looking at his testicles and maybe they're a little contracted on each side. I'm like this close to just being like, yo, this need to, this guy needs to go to ultrasound right now. Uh, you know, I'm worried about torsion. He's having this severe sudden onset pain. He's like holding it. Right. And then I see my ultrasound right at the bedside. I'm like, eh, why not? Let's just double check. And it was a big AAA, like a big ruptured AAA, right? And the reason I say this is that the testicles in the aorta, in the kidney, and like the ureters, it's all the same sensory group. It all has sensory overlap. And so it's really, you guys, it is really common for testicular pain not to present as pain in the testicles, even in adults, let alone like peds who are scared to mention anything like going on under their underwear, right? You need to know that abdominal pain, flake pain, frequently are the presenting complaint with testicular torsion. Typically, the symptoms are going to be sudden and severe, right? Frequently, the pain so severe that the patient's vomiting. And classically, they're not going to be having urinary symptoms with it. So that's your history for testicular torsion. And again, we've covered all of this before, but we're just going through it again because that's the theme for this summer. Exam. So you're being good and thorough, right? And that patient comes in with flank pain or abdominal pain. And, you know, if you're lucky, they're coming in, they're specifically complaining of testicular pain, right? If you're at all concerned for this diagnosis, you need to do a genitourinary exam in males. And you're really looking for four things. If the testicular lie, the angle, if it's not, if they don't hang symmetrically, right? And one of them is kind of hanging at a different angle. That's concerning for torsion. That's called an abnormal lie. If one testicle isn't just like a little higher than the other, for all of you girls listening, usually like one testicle is a little bit higher than the other. But if you're looking for a testicle and it's like clearly visually like riding high, right? 
by, you know, a significant amount. That's called a high riding testicle. And this is a big red flag for torsion if that's the side that they're having pain, right? You want to look for tenderness and swelling of the testicle itself. So much more common uh, than testicular torsion is epididymitis in that you're only going to really typically have... So let me clarify. So if it's epididymitis, you're going to get that tenderness on the backside, that posterior aspect of the testicle over the epididymis. Sometimes the epididymitis is an epididymorchitis. Uh, I think that's how you say it. And it's the whole testicle that's inflamed. So certainly you can get focal tenderness of the testicle as well. But usually, you know, the whole freaking testicle isn't like swollen and severely painful. If you see that, I mean, you're getting an ultrasound. You're just getting an ultrasound, right? But we'll get to that in a second. And then your most sensitive finding, um, but also very difficult. And in my experience, you see it like a lot as someone who's pretty thorough with this and does check a lot. You see this a lot when there's no torsion present at all is an absent cremasteric reflex. But if you see it, if you see a normal cremasteric reflex, that's very reassuring. And, um, if you check it and you have an absent cremasteric reflex, uh, in my experience, they don't always have torsion, but a lot of times I'm going to be getting an ultrasound, right? So with that said, in your presentation, when you have a patient and this is in your differential and you're putting a GU exam in your presentation, right? Because you're examining that complaint, you know, part of the examination of a flank pain complaint frequently is going to be, you know, a testicular exam. Um, it's going to prove you're having a good differential and good exam when you put things like the cremasteric reflex in your presentation. Okay. So exam, four things, testicular angle or lie, the height of it, you know, tenderness and swelling of the testicle itself, and then absent cremasteric reflex are your kind of classic exam findings for this testing plan. You want to get a testicular ultrasound. That is your test of choice. Pretty straightforward. And it'll show decreased flow and swelling and it's pretty good at picking up uh, testicular torsion. But the treatment plan is where I want to just slow down here just for a second. These patients are going to need, if they do have testicular torsion, they're going to need rapid urology, just like patients with ovarian torsion need rapid OBGYN. And so if this diagnosis is like legitimately, like it's legitimately on your differential, you have a pretty high pretest suspicion, they have testicular pain and it's, you know, the testicle is tender and the lie is abnormal and it's high riding, right? And there's no cremasteric reflex and you're like, ooh, this looks like a torsion. Your plan is to, first you want to call urology, and then if there's any delay at all, if you're in an academic center and they're, you know, just a walk down the steps, whatever. But if you're like me and you train where you don't have urology within just a few minutes, you want to actually attempt a manual untwisting or a detorsion procedure. And so you give the patient pain medicine and nausea medicine, and then they describe it as opening the book, right? You kind of twist the, the testicle from medial to lateral, kind of like you're opening the pages of a book. If they have torsion and urology is significantly delayed at all, you twist that testicle kind of medial to lateral. And you try to see if you can get some blood flow back. That's testicular torsion, the real quick, quick and dirty version, right? The male equivalent of ovarian torsion. We've covered this before, so we didn't spend a ton of time here, but just know, I think you're going to look really smart and thorough if you do a good GU exam in male patients with low pelvic abdominal pain, flank pain, and obviously, obviously, if they come in complaining of testicular pain, you should be doing a GU exam before you present to your attending. Now, let's move on to the male equivalent of 
female pelvic inflammatory disease, in my mind at least, prostatitis. So similar to PID, what are types of like historical complaints you might encounter with prostatitis? Pain, pelvic pain, a lot of the same things as PID. Pain with sex, urinary symptoms, fever, chills, maybe vomiting. Maybe not as much like discharge in men compared to women, but a good way to think about this is in men, prostatitis is kind of your male equivalent of PID. Like PID, it's frequently, but not always, caused by sexually transmitted infections. And um, that's kind of what you need to know as far as the history. On exam, you're looking for prostate, rectal, perineal tenderness. Again, it's the male equivalent of PID. Instead of looking for tenderness with motion of the cervix or of the adnexa, you're looking for tenderness with palpation of the prostate. And I'll add here, this isn't like technically prostatitis, um, but orchitis, I mentioned this previously, orchitis, epididymitis uh, is kind of, would be in a similar category as well. Uh, tenderness of the male adenexa, right? The scrotal contents. That's your exam though. It's a very, just like PID, it's a very clinical diagnosis, tenderness of those specific spots. Testing plan, like PID, you know, CBC, BMP, maybe a urine, maybe some sexually transmitted infection testing, but again, mostly a clinical diagnosis. And then the main thing is that I find that the treatment plan, the antibiotic choice is the main difference between PID and prostatitis. With the trick being, I feel like if it's not a sexually transmitted infection in females, usually you're concerned about some sort of like anaerobic infection. So you're considering maybe adding metronidazole. In men, you have less anaerobes. You're worried a lot more about E. coli. And you also need an antibiotic that's going to get good penetration into the prostate, right? So which can be very hard to do in some circumstances. So the types of antibiotics here in contrast to pelvic inflammatory disease uh, are like your fluoroquinolones and Bactrim, although this is always changing, especially with fluoroquinolones. Um, if you guys want to know a quick little pearl, fluoroquinolones have a lot of big, bad press right now. So a lot of people, there's a lot of controversy about whether we should be prescribing fluoroquinolones in my experience, just something you might want to be aware of. You can bring up with your attending, but the general idea is that if it's truly a young and healthy male with risk factors for sexually transmitted infection, then the bacterial prostatitis is probably sexually transmitted. Whereas if the patient is older and they have less risk factors for sexually transmitted infections, it's probably gram negative. It's probably something like E. coli. My advice, because this can get really kind of complex really quickly, especially if the patient has allergies and stuff. Uh, the one book I, well, okay. So I carry a few books with me as I'm attending, but one of those is the little Emra antibiotic guide or whatever antibiotic guide you choose. Um, I just go, go based off of that. Okay. But that's testicular torsion, the male equivalent of ovarian torsion and prostatitis, the male equivalent of PID and, um, epididyma orchitis can kind of probably, you can think of it in that same kind of category as well. We've also covered ectopic pregnancy, UTIs, and all together we have finished at this moment our whole pelvis GU differential component of our abdominal pain. And so, so far we've done our quadrant-based diagnoses, right? Our bowel-based diagnoses, and now our GU diagnoses with abdominal pain, obviously not all-inclusive, but stuff that's been on your CDEM M4 curriculum if you look it up online. And that wraps up this week. Follow the 
Facebook group, if you haven't already. I actually completely have ditched Twitter for multiple reasons. Like I actually have like turned off my account, uh, but I do still have the Facebook page and I'll be posting I, every once in a while with these longer series. I kind of like to put out like a summary post. Every once in a while I like to put out polls just to kind of see where your guys head is at with types of content you want. And eventually we did some, I tried doing some random live streams, kind of office hours things. It wasn't really too popular, I guess. It's just hard to coordinate the time, I think. Like, people would kind of stroll in and stroll out, but it wasn't very high yield as far as talking to lots of you at the same time. So I kind of stopped doing that, but maybe eventually we'll schedule some live streams where we can do a lot of, like, Q&A and that kind of thing. It would be really fun. Um, so follow the Facebook group if you haven't already. And uh, sorry if you followed me on Twitter, but I'm not on Twitter anymore. I got rid of it. It was making me angry. Anyways, um, yeah, I just got rid of it. My life is much better. So good luck on your clerkships. I hope your summer is going well. I know a lot of you are on kind of emergency medicine rotations, doing away rotations. I believe in you. I know you have what it takes. Until next week, keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.